Sprinter Usain Bolt first stormed onto the international scene during the 2008 Summer Olympics in Beijing, China. There, the Jamaican-born runner won two gold medals in the 100-meter and 200-meter sprints. And just two months after setting a new world record in the 100-meter that summer in May 2008 in New York City, Usain Bolt broke his own record again. Bolt would go on to win eight Olympic gold medals in his time and also 11 world championships. And with 23 total gold medals to his name, it's hard not to debate that Usain Bolt was once the fastest man alive. Today in episode 21 of Andy Fry's Sports Podcast, you'll hear two separate conversations that I've had with Usain Bolt. He'll talk about his early days in running and some of the early struggles he overcame, as well as what he's doing now and the launch of his own line of NFT sports memorabilia. Stay tuned for my interviews with Usain Bolt. When I spoke to Bolt this Monday, September 27th, he had just landed in Germany to sign autographs and speak to fans ahead of some upcoming news with regards to his post-running sports career. Well, now that it's October 1st and the cat is out of the bag, the official news on Usain Bolt is that he's joining the advisory board of a company called Autograph. If you hadn't heard much about it, Autograph is sort of a digital, collectible, and sports memorabilia company co-founded by Tom Brady. And in joining the advisory board, Bolt joins a roster of other iconic athletes such as Tiger Woods, Tony Hawk, Naomi Osaka, Derek Jeter, Simone Biles, and Wayne Gretzky in advising the company on what it has to do to give fans something to connect further with their favorite athletes and sports icons. Now, just like Tiger Woods, Tom Brady, Tony Hawk, and the others, Bolt is launching his own first line of NFT collectibles. They go on sale online next week and range in prices from $12 to $100, while the officially signed versions of his NSTs will start at $250 a pop. While it's not surprising that such a high-profile Olympian like Bolt would have his own line of NFTs and be invited to be part of the board, I want to start out by getting a little bit of info about how he got involved and to what degree he was actually involved in picking his own highlight moments that ended up being digital representations of him in sports memorabilia. Hello. Hi. How's it going? Good, good, good. good. How's, uh, How's Germany treating you? It's good. I just I just got here. So, so as a world class athlete like you, do you do you eat? You know, are you gonna eat like uh, Wiener Schnitzel and all that great <laughs> food, that kind of stuff? I, I try to indulge at time, but um, I'm not a massive fan of German food. Yeah, <laughs> I must say. Good. Well, cool. Why don't you tell me a little about this uh, NFT thing you're working on? Because I know that you have a series that we can talk about publicly on Wednesday. And I, I, you know, I haven't seen it myself. I imagine that's some of your greatest hits and wins and, you know, your races that people, when they think about you, they think about those races. Like, tell me a little bit about uh, how you got into it and, you know, what, to what degree you, I imagine you had some say in the selection process. Obviously, certain sports moments are just going to be, you know, are going to be obvious that they're included. But what was your input in, in the process involving that? You know, we're we're going to start off slow like anybody else, you know what I mean? Just buy simple autograph cards and then we can <laughs> sit and discuss um, where we can go with it or what, we sh- what races we should use to try to put it out there so it's just uh thinking process now but we just got into the first just a nice headshot just to put it out there first and let people know i'm a part of it when tom and everybody approached my team for me i was i was happy because i can see this is the direction that the world 
is actually going and everything is going to be online. You know what I mean? Especially younger kids now, they're really about being online. So for me, it's easily accessible for the fans and everybody. Now, I don't know if you remember, we, we talked probably right before the Olympics and uh, you, we, you talked about one thing I was in, I, I was interested in that I asked you about at the time was kind of how you switched from being a pretty good top level runner to the Olympic champion, and you had said that your coach said you needed to work harder, which was not something I expected you to say. So I know that I know that means hit the gym and work out more and promote. But in terms of like mentally, how did you, as someone who obviously you know at the top, well, even before you won your first gold medal, like I imagine you thought of yourself as one of the best. Like what kind of conversations did you have with yourself? from a, you know, like internal coaching uh, standpoint or just psychologically to kind of push yourself and sort of accept that, that advice and really take it to heart and step it up? Uh, for me, uh, I, I think mentally, um, help, what helped me was in 2002 when I ran in front of, in front of my home crowd in Jamaica. Um, for me, that was one of my roughest races because I was so nervous. You know what I mean? It, I was shaking and... It was very stressful and I won. And I've told myself, uh, if I can compete in front of my Jamaicans, which are very demanding, then I can compete in front of strangers. You know what I mean? And that for me helped me mentally because I always tell myself that that there's nothing to worry about. And if I'm also well prepared, if I know that I've done the work and the coach is satisfied with the work I've put in, then it kind of helped me to be more relaxed and, and, and free-flowing. So you obviously put more time into increasing your speed. I imagine you probably did the same things like with each other Olympics beyond the first one, but you, you worked out a little bit. You made sure you were you know, loose and limber and as fit as you could be. But like, what about some of the like hardcore tech nerd stuff when it gets to running, like in terms of putting your feet in the blocks, your stance? Like I think of, I used to write a lot about baseball. I think of like people altering their swing or their stance. Like what kind of um, fine points, if you're allowed to tell me any trade secrets that you worked on uh, as a runner to kind of, you know, I don't know, slice off a quarter or a half a second when you're running. Well, that was all up to my coach. He would, he would pick simple things. Um, one thing, because I always tall, I used to step off the blocks. Instead of stepping, he would always get to drag my feet. Um, so at times I tend to always, you look at the front of my spikes on my left foot, it's always really rubbed off because I tend to drag that feet. So that's something that was very important. Also, for me, I had to bring my hands closer than most other people together instead of, instead of wider because of my body positioning when I needed to, to get out of the block. So there was just little things that, that my coach really took note of and really helped me, um, get just little seconds or milliseconds off. After discussing with Usain Bolt his new NFT digital collectible venture, and also getting a little bit more knee-deep into the psychology of running and winning Olympic gold medals, I wanted to step out of my own shoes as a USA resident and fan of Team USA in the Olympics and get a little bit more of a perspective from Usain Bolt being someone who was born outside the U.S. in Jamaica. Obviously, he's a worldwide celebrity in sport right now, But prior to the summer of 2008, Usain Bolt was just another pretty talented up-and-coming sprinter. So I tried to cue it up with a little perspective and get his take on the Olympics and being a hero in his own country as well as across the world. Yeah. 
So I, me and, and Caitlin and Peyton, we all grew up in the U.S. and we're so we sort of watched the Olympics, thinking the U.S. is the greatest and we're going to win tons of gold medals. Um, how much different is it being from Jamaica, you know, smaller country? I mean, I can name probably off the top. I had a, a couple of Jamaican athletes total, but I mean, you're a world legend, and before you became that, um, you know, we'll talk about maybe the pride factor in terms of wanting to really show up here. Once you got over the nervousness, like showing up for your, for your country. How big of a deal was that? What kind of pressure did it add on you as just, you know, an up-and-coming athlete in your first Olympics? And when did you, like, how did that change once you got to your second and third Olympics? Uh, for me, uh, I learned at an early age, which helped that I didn't think, oh, I'm just doing this for Jamaica. I'm doing this for my country, you know what I mean? Yeah. I always say, I put myself first. I'm like, you know what, I'm doing this for myself. That's how I push myself because I know if I want to do well, then I'll do well for my country. So I always focus on myself because at a younger age, that's all I thought about at that time was like, oh my God, I need to do this for my country. I need to make sure I won. But I, after a while, I kind of understood that, listen, yeah, you do this for, but you do this for yourself first because I want to, I want to be one of the greats. I want to be among the, the greats athletes of the world. So for me, after I learned that it came a little bit more easier and less pressure, but I knew that everybody in Jamaica wanted me to do well. So I figured out that at an earlier age because I really started running fast young. So over time, I figured out things along the way. And I know you love soccer and you played a little bit of it. So maybe in soccer running, I don't know when you picked up soccer as such a love of a sport, but like who are your influence, what athletes influence you to want to be a great athlete, either in running or soccer or, you know, even outside those sports, like who really, who'd you look, look up to when you were much younger? For me, just, it was, surprisingly, it wasn't like all the greats. I just wanted to be like them, you know what I mean? Because a lot of these guys, I didn't, like Muhammad Ali and Pele, I didn't get to grow up watching these guys. So for me, um, Don Quarry was one of the guys that I looked up to, I mean, because he was a, he's a Jamaican and he's a 200 meter specialist and I love Two hundred meters, and then uh, for me it was Kevin Garnett, a basketball player, because how he, how aggressive he is, and how he's passionate about his sports, and he's always just trying to be the best. Even when he's on the bench, injured, he pushes his teammate. You can see the passion that he had. So that's something that I really enjoy watching. And also Michael Johnson, you know what I mean, because he was the one that I was aiming to to break his two hundred meter rail record. So that's somebody I watched uh, growing up. You know, I've gotten to, as part of my sports gig here, I get to talk to gamers every once in a while, and I'm sort of fascinated. Like, well, first of all, I want to know if you play video games at all. I don't, but... Um, I don't play a lot. I, I, I use... I normally play Call of Duty and, like, Pro Evolution. Those are my two games that I normally play. So, uh, since you're Usain Bolt, do you get to jump on with Drake or Kevin Garnett and play uh, with them, or are you just playing with everyday people that you're friends with? Yeah, I just... Yeah, just my people. I just jam with my people because I don't play I think now most of the guys play online a lot now than back in the days you know what I mean but for me now I'm not home I keep moving about so I don't really get to play as much as I want to you know what I mean so I've kind of like stepped back from the gaming world I've had my PS5 and it hasn't been turned on in like five months Well, so uh, you're doing some business promotional stuff. What's next for Usain Bolt? Are you going to be, or are you coaching at all or lending advice to Jamaican runners? Uh, you going to, you know, buy a soccer team? Like what kind of <laughs> no, are you, you going to do out there in the world? 
for me, I'm just working with different people. You know, what I mean, this NFT thing is is big. You know, what I mean, I'm just happy to be a part of it. You know what I mean, Tiger Woods, Tom Brady, Simone Biles, and all these guys are part of it. I'm just happy to be part of this. I'm out here in Germany also, um, working with Puma. Yeah, and I have a lot more other things doing. You know, what I mean, but I won't be buying any football team. I'm going to watch Manchester United um, on Wednesday. Uh, hopefully, we can win yeah, the Champions League. You know, they're, they're not the best, team, best team in Manchester. You know, ah, <laughs> you're on the other side. Well, we <laughs> can both. Too good. You guys are looking good this season. We, we, can, we can both hate Liverpool. I, I, you know. Yeah, we can. That's, every that's, time that's Mo Salah is on the ground, I'm, I'm kicking myself. But um, well, cool. I really appreciate you taking time this afternoon to talk to me, and um, no look forward to hearing more news about you guys. I appreciate. It. Take care. So those conversations were from my most recent interview with Usain Bolt this September. And my apologies if the audio was a little dodgy there, but we did have a zoom across the Atlantic Ocean. Now, I have to admit that I struck gold twice this summer, sorry for the Olympic pun, in that I also got the chance to talk to him right before the Tokyo Summer Olympics. Before he talked about the big switch from participant to observer, Usain Bolt talked a little bit about his time getting ready for the first Olympics in 2008. He discussed what transitioned him from pretty good runner to perennial world champion and eight-time Olympic gold medalist. And when I asked him what was the most memorable and most favorite moment of his own career, I was a little surprised to hear which event he talked about. Let's listen. I wanted to ask you some questions about the Olympics, obviously. Uh, you won eight gold Olympic medals and I think 11 world, world championship medals. So you won a lot. I wanted to see if there it was there any specific moment in all the olympics that you had participated in that was sort of like the most memorable moment the most memorable win if anyone sticks out for me um it was um in beijing um four by one um one thing that i love i got a picture of it um in my trophy room right now is um when i was adding the baton over to asafa and i was screaming at him to run and for me, that was one of my favorite moments. And I got it on camera. And it's something that I, I always smile because I always remember that one moment that it really stands out to me. Good deal. Now, um, I know before that you'd set, a, a, I think, a national record uh, in your home country. But you also got some criticism, too. Uh, and then you sort of had a breakthrough, I guess, around 2007, even before the uh, your first Olympic gold at Beijing. So why don't you tell me, tell me about that breakthrough moment? Because I know that you're obviously a very competitive athlete. You're the best at what you do. But there had to be, it looked like, at least maybe to us Olympic fans and observers, uh, something that kicked it in high gear. When, tell us about sort of your training, your mentality that, that made you go from uh, 2007 to 2008 and, and start really winning everything. Um, so in 2007, I personally felt like I was training very hard. Personally, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I remember when I got to the World Championships and my coach was like, all right. I was like, I'm, I think I can win this. And he goes, all right, let's see what happens. And I ran. I remember coming out of the corner and Tyson Gay was like five meters. I was I was trying my hardest to catch him. You know what I mean? I couldn't catch him. And I remember going back to my coach and saying to him, like, coach, I really felt like I could win this. And he says, yeah, but you weren't 
prepared enough. You know what I mean? You weren't, you weren't, you didn't train as hard as you could. You didn't go to the gym regularly as you should. And he started pointing out the things that I didn't do that I should have done. You know what I mean? And so when it, so the next season now, I decided like, you know what? Anything my coach says, I'm just going to do it. You know what I mean? And that year I was super fit. I was ready. I was on point. And that's how the change came about because I personally wanted to win that year, which was 07, but I wasn't prepared because I wasn't well trained. Well, obviously you trusted your coach. So what did it do? What did it do? I guess maybe, maybe my question is what occurred in order to make you more coachable? Was it just black and white that you wanted to win and you're going to do anything to win? Exactly. Or did you have to kind of break down your ego, you know, as a top performer too, to kind of get to uh, step it up? No, it was just that I wanted to win. You know what I mean? It was, it was that moment, you know what I mean, where I wanted to be a world champion and I didn't get there, you know what I mean? And I know that the Olympics was coming up and I was like, coach, how can I win? And he says, listen to me, this is it. You have to do this, this, this and that and you'll be fine because you're very talented. Um, I was one of the most talented juniors. So he said, you have the talent, but you have to work on your talent. And if you don't work on your talent, you're not going to get there. And that's what I did. I just put in the work. Well, back to back to watching the Olympics. So obviously, I, I imagine that you you're no less of a competitive person than you were, you know, when you were, were were running and sprinting and racing. So, what's it like to be more of an observer now? I mean, does it make you want to kind of get out there and jump on the track and and run? Or are you actually going to like be able to sort of kick back and enjoy it uh, the way that you know, I guess the rest of us do. Uh, the rest of us who don't don't win gold medals do. <laughs> It's definitely going, I'm, I'm going to want to run. You know what I mean? Every time I see a high competition, especially when I'm watching now and the finals, I'm going to want to be out there. I'm going to feel, I'm going to have a little FOMO a little bit, you know what I mean? But I'm also just going to enjoy it because this is my first time actually just watching the Olympics and, and I'm also going to try to enjoy it. You know what I mean? Watch every competition. I'm going to try to watch everything I possibly can. Good deal. Well, last question. So I know that you're a bit of a soccer fan. I know that you uh, have a stint where you trained with Man United. Uh, you know, it, and soccer is is in the Olympics. So, you know, here in the U.S., I know that we're we're watching the U.S. WNT and seeing what they do to follow up their World Cup win. Um, are you be peeking in to watch soccer, the men or women or both? And definitely, I'm, I watch every every as long as it's, it's, it's soccer, I watch it. It's something that I enjoy watching men or women. I I watch it. It's something that I enjoy <laughs> enjoy a lot. You know, what I mean, I'm a massive fan of this soccer overall. That's it for this edition of Andy Fry's Sports Podcast, and thanks for listening. You can also keep abreast of my latest interviews and what exciting athletes I've gotten to speak to by following me on Twitter at my handle, at SportyFry. That's Fry with an E. Keep following sports, and we'll talk to you next time.